Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome back to Top of the Morning on the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. Joining me for the conversation today in studio, glad to welcome back Information Technology and Communication Services Analyst Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office, Kevin Deneen. Kevin, it's great to be with you in person today. Welcome back. Thanks, Dan. Great to be back with you. Absolutely. So, Kevin, I know you're joining our listeners, our clients this morning to talk about a recent primer you released, which, by the way, I will point out up front is available for our listeners, our clients up on UBS.com slash CIO. But the title is Let's Chat About ChatGPT. And, Kevin, it's interesting. I know over the past few weeks, we've been hearing a lot of buzz surrounding ChatGPT. I'm sure for many, myself included, perhaps the first time we're hearing about this. So, for starters, Kevin, can you speak Speak a bit to how this all originated and what exactly is ChatGPT. Yeah, Dan, so ChatGPT, you're right, it's generated an unbelievable amount of uh, press headlines. And I would say it, it, it's really generated a, a mix of excitement and, and I'd say actually say fear among uh, consumers. Um, so ChatGPT is a, is, it's a chatbot. It's developed by an organization called OpenAI, which is a US, U.S.-based artificial intelligence lab. Um, it's really, it's really part of the broader family of something called the large language models. Uh, these large language models are artificial intelligence models that can, that can understand and generate text or, or conversation. And you can interact with these models using natural language and you receive answers that are pretty much identical to what you might get if you were having a conversation with another human being. So basically, I, I would say like any sort of question that you might use a traditional search engine on, you can go to ChatGPT and ChatGPT's going to give you an answer. But unlike traditional search where it return, gives you, you know, a series of links to web pages or to videos, ChatGPT is going to generate a conversation. Um, you can even ask it to tell you a joke and the jokes are actually pretty funny. Um, <laughs> So largely, it's it's a large language model, and the way that these large language models work is they, they've taken in huge amounts of data, anything from Wikipedia to a whole bunch of academic papers. And what a large language model does, the way that I understand it, is it looks at the relationship between words, and it essentially starts to calculate the probability of one word following another. So if I was to say to you, Dan, I hear the dog blank, you would probably say... Barking. Barking. So it sort of does that, and it does it for one-word one pairs, and it does it for two- and three-word pairs, and so on and so forth. And it creates a massive data set, and it uses just an unbelievable amount of computer uh, power. And the chat GPT model has 175 billion parameters, and parameters are essentially combinations of words or, or variables that it can solve for. Um, this is a really big model. By uh, all accounts, it's probably about four times larger than its next closest competitor. It's amazing how far, how quickly this technology has come. I'm sure there's a lot more ahead of us. And with that in mind, thinking about artificial intelligence, AI progression, broadly speaking, Kevin, in what ways can or will AI serve as a solution for, let's say, economic development or growth going forward? Yeah. So if you think about economic growth, um, I think it always comes down to sort of two things, uh, labor force growth and productivity. We're obviously in a world where many regions of the world have demographic issues uh, related to population growth, growth or labor force growth. So we need 
solutions that make us more productive, that make productive workers even more productive. And that's sort of where we think AI fits in generally and and these large language models. So we've always seen artificial intelligence as what I describe as a horizontal layer of technology. Um, it's, it's It's a piece of technology that's going to be applied across a lot of different other areas. So if you think about a database, right, where you keep mm-hmm. all of your information, that's a horizontal technology. You use it in finance applications. You use it in medical applications. Mm-hmm. You know, think about uh, the history of stock trades that UBS will have. Think about um, your medical records that sit mm-hmm. at a hospital. Those sit in databases, and that's a horizontal technology. We think, we think AI is going to be a lot like that. It's going to be integrated into other solutions. So, you know, we think large language models will ultimately be put to work as sort of a communication engine mm-hmm. within a whole bunch of different applications against or across a whole bunch of different vertical markets. Um, and again, it's ultimately about driving productivity, and we think that's sort of the economic benefit here. So there sounds like a lot of promise, and with that, Kevin, I've heard fears when it comes to AI's potential for labor market disruption, just thinking about precedent for other technologies, whether it be assembly lines, factory floors, even automated teller machines, self-checkout at grocery stores. Technology does tend to disrupt the labor market. There is precedent for that. So how should we be thinking about that in terms of AI, job loss due to, let's say, automation? Yeah, I, you know, I think I think it's a good question. And I think if we look back, you know, every time you have a new big development technology, there's always fears of worker dislocation worker displacement. And I'm not saying that there isn't friction. Mm -hmm. So 1896 was the year the Henry Ford introduced his first automobile. Mm -hmm. I'm sure 1896 was not a good year to be a buggy whip maker. Right. But uh, it's about 60 years since IBM introduced its first mainframe, the System 360. And if you look back at press reports and the history of it, there were massive fears that that office workers were going to be put out of work mm-hmm. by the IBM mainframe. I would say, you know, maybe buggy whip workers were displaced, but the last 60 years been, have been pretty good years for people who work or in information workers or white collar workers or whatever, um, however you want to classify it. So I would say, you know, we can always find instances of job displacement due to new technology adoption. And ChatGPT may unseat some workers that are in service rep type of jobs, but the opposite may also be true. You know, historically, what you see is if you give productive workers better tools, you make them more productive. That leads to more. Um, first off, it leads to faster economic growth. It leads to more job gains, and it leads to better compensation for workers. So, you know, I, I think I think the um, I think the history shows us that. Technology of any sort, whether it's manufacturing technology, communications technology, information technology, ultimately, it's about making productive workers more productive, and it always ends up being a net additive to economic growth to the labor force. Very good points. It's important to keep that historical context in mind. And we're office workers broadcasting from an office building in the heart of Midtown Manhattan. So we're still here after 60 years. That's right. Yep. So Kevin, before we close out, so it does sound like there is a big opportunity out there when it comes to artificial intelligence. From an investor's vantage point, I'm thinking, well, how can I go about investing in this technology, participating? What would your guidance be? So this is... This is really still a very nascent market. Um, 
especially when you compare it to the overall I- IT revenue pool. And I do think that there's, you know, multiple ways to invest against conversational AI or AI more broadly. In terms of the size of the market, we rely on or we take the guidance from uh, third parties. So IDC is a third party uh, technology analyst, Bloomberg, everybody's familiar with them. Um, they, they sort of have the market getting growing about 20 percent per year to reach 90 billion dollars by 2025. Um, there's probably upside to that number. Um, we think that if you look at the adoption rate, ChatGPT reached its first milestone of a million users in literally one week. Um, that's faster than Instagram. It's faster than any other application we could we could track. My hunch is it would have been even faster if they weren't sort of gating mm. um, the usage of it. Um, and we're seeing obviously lots of interest from enterprises. Uh, and so other software vendors to to integrate conversational AI into their existing ecosystem. So, you know, just the other day, or maybe it was last night or the day before, it's all blurred to me at this point, but a major software company in the um, front office sales automation space uh, talked about integrating chat GPT into their suite of products. Mm-hmm. So it speaks to that notion that, you know, this is going to be a communications engine that sits within other vertical applications. So what I'm getting at here is, you know, I think these estimates are probably on the low side. Hmm. I think adoption's really ramping up, interest is really ramping up. And, you know, what I would say is what I always say about new technology, it comes out of the gate very fast in terms of mind share. There's usually sort of a wave of disappointment before it actually mm-hmm. becomes meaningful to what's happening in the real world. But this seems to have a lot of legs. I wouldn't be surprised to see the hype machine sort of fade a little bit, but we do think this is meaningful, um, you know, meaningful and impactful technology. I think um, in terms of investment or, in, in, you know, operationalizing AI as an investment um, option, you know, we think you can invest in, in, in the platforms that deliver AI. We think in the short term, you can think about investing in, in semiconductor companies that have leverage into this category. Uh, we think some of the cloud service providers um, will also benefit. Um, we also think that there's there's really attractive opportunities in, in private equity. This seems to be a space that's like tailor-made mm-hmm. right now, just given its newness that tends to set up pretty well um, for private equity. I would say we, we have a number of thematic lists that, that uh, are, have leverage against this theme. Mm-hmm. And what I'd encourage anybody who really wants to discuss the investment options, you know, contact your financial advisor at UBS and we can have a conversation there. Well, Kevin, it sounds like there's quite a few avenues as you've outlined for us. And to reinforce Kevin's point for our clients listening in, please contact your UBS financial advisor if you would like to learn more about the investment recommendations associated with this theme. I will also point everyone again to Kevin's primer on this piece. Let's chat about ChatGPT. Again, is available now up on UBS.com slash CIO for clients of UBS. Your financial advisor can provide you with a copy of the piece as well. But Kevin, it sounds like there's a lot of legs with this story, as you mentioned. So we'll be having follow-up conversations. I'll be sure to check out the comedy seller to see if ChatGPT will be getting on stage. We'll see how it does. But Kevin, fascinating conversation. Thank you again for joining us. Thanks, Dan. UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the Global Wealth Management Business of UBS AG or its affiliate, UBS. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient and is published for informational purposes only. 
as a firm providing wealth management services to clients globally, UBS AG and its subsidiaries offer both investment advisory services and brokerage services. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways, and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. In the USA, UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG and a member of FINRA SIPC. For information, please visit our website at UBS.com forward slash working with us. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at UBS.com forward slash CIO disclaimer.